It's up for debate on KLJXLP Flagstaff, KJAC 107.1. I'm your host, Cade Reed. Thank you very much for tuning in today. And make sure you tune in every single weekday where I'll be bringing you the most debatable content in all of sports, only on KJAC Radio and on the KJAC Sports Spotify. Now I want to jump right in because we have a great episode today covering the midseason awards and predictions in the NFL the Thursday night football preview between the Colts and the Titans, and the MLB announced the Rookie of the Year and Cy Young Awards. Before we get into all of that, I want to talk about the NBA trade rumors going on right now. Russell Westbrook and James Harden have become available, and this is huge news for the Houston Rockets as they've been a team that has been competitive and pretty good the last couple of years, and after they traded for Russell Westbrook this offseason or this prior offseason, it looked like they were heading in the direction of trying to compete for a championship. But now that their general manager, Daryl Morey, and head coach Mark D'Antoni have departed, have been fired, have stepped away from their jobs in Houston with D'Antoni going to the Nets, uh, is that a sign of things to come for Houston? Is this signaling that Houston is going towards a rebuild. The new general manager, Raphael Stone, and head coach Steven Silas are both new to their jobs, new to their positions. They're first-time general manager and first-time head coach. And to be fair, they were dealt a really poor hand. In the Russell Westbrook trade last offseason, they lost two first-round picks in the Chris Paul trade, including two pick swaps. And this is a big deal because the two first-round picks are a couple years in the future. They're going to have a pick swap in 2021 and in 2025, but the 2024 and 2026 draft picks are going to be very important because if the Astros do not decide to completely start their rebuild right now, once they get to that 2024 timeframe, four years from now, it looks like they could be one of the worst teams in the NBA. And the reason being is they don't really have the draft capital. They don't have the talent. Their talent is aging and they're going to have to solve a lot of issues. So if they want to rebuild right now is the perfect time. So in 2024, when they don't have those draft capital, when they don't have those draft picks, they don't have to really worry about losing a first overall or top five draft pick. It's just not going to be a concern of them if they've already gone through the rebuild in these three or four years prior. So if they go through that rebuild, Russell Westbrook will be hard to deal. And that's going to be a real obstacle for Raphael Stone to try to overcome. Russell Westbrook's contract this year is $41 million. And that itself is going to be really tough to move. You're going to need to find a team that has bad contracts that they need to move if they want to get Russell Westbrook. And to be fair, it's going to be a Russell Westbrook trade for not very much if they do end up making a deal. Now, Russell Westbrook is really talented. He's one of the better NBA players at the point guard position, but he's getting up there in age and he really hasn't proven that he's got the capability to win an NBA championship or really even make it that deep into a playoff run to try to win an NBA championship. So his $41 million contract is going to be tough to deal, but the next two years of his contracts just keep getting worse. 41 next year, 44 million the year after, and then 47 million the year after that. So whatever team picks up that contract is going to be in a really tough cap situation. Russell Westbrook is a good player, but definitely not worth a $47 million contract. Now, 
finding a trade fit for Russell Westbrook is definitely something that is going to be difficult for the Houston Rockets. But I think there's one team that makes a little bit of sense, and that's the Chicago Bulls. And the reason I think they make a lot of sense for Russell Westbrook is because it'll reconnect Russell Westbrook with his former head coach, Billy Donovan. And we saw how good Russell Westbrook was when he played for Billy Donovan in OKC. And he was an MVP award winner. He was a triple double, double maestro. I mean, he was one of the best players in the NBA during that stretch. And I don't think there's really much debate about that. Now, he was still good during his years with Houston and, or excuse me, during his year with Houston, but he wasn't really a superstar. He didn't really step up to the level where they had a big two that could really lead them to a championship. The Houston Rockets had really tough issues going through the playoffs and Russell Westbrook was a big part of that. So if the Chicago Bulls want to make this deal, it makes a little bit of sense for both sides. For the Chicago Bulls, they're a team that is young and ready to compete. They have young stars that are developing into potential superstars. Zach Levine, Lowry Markinen, Wendell Carter, just to name a few. They also have a top five draft pick, which is going to be very important for jumpstarting this rebuild. Now, I don't think that draft pick should be included in any way, shape, or form, but I think future draft capital will be included in a deal for Russell Westbrook. Now, the contracts that the Bulls have that are tradable this year is Otto Porter and Thaddeus Young. And these contracts are bad contracts for the Chicago Bulls, so they want to get rid of them anyways. But once those contracts expire in a few years, they won't really have to pay them the same amount that they'd have to pay what Russell Westbrook. $44 million the year after next and $47 the year after that is going to be a really tough sum to pay somebody who's definitely getting into the later stages of their career. So if the, the Bulls want to make this trade, they really have to commit to their young talent. I mean, they may have a few pieces short of contention, but does Russell Westbrook really bring them to the next level? I mean, they need a leader and Russell Westbrook is a proven leader. So I understand the want and the need to bring in Russell Westbrook. I understand that the Chicago Bulls have that familiarity with Billy Donovan and Russell Westbrook. And they hired Billy Donovan for a reason. He's one of the better head coaches who is available on the market. And he's done a great job with Oklahoma City the last few years, especially this last year where Oklahoma City made the playoffs and had a decent playoff run even though they didn't really have the talent that was expected out of them. Now, I do think Russell Westbrook will be traded because he is not really happy with the situation that's going on in Houston. He doesn't like the direction things are going. And a big reason why they're going in that direction is because of the trade that they made for Russell Westbrook. When the Houston Rockets traded for Russell Westbrook, they gave up their future. And because they gave up their future, they were committed to winning now. And because they were unable to win a championship, they were unable to compete for a NBA championship, they're not going to be able to really make too many moves because how are they going to be able to change the offense or change the defense if they don't really have the ability to sign too many free agents? They don't really have the ability to trade for guys because their draft capital has already been depleted. So Russell Westbrook is unhappy, but he's really the big reason why Houston is in such a mess. I mean, the Chris Paul trade really didn't make any sense because Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook were just about the same talent level with Chris Paul, maybe not being as good a fit for the offense as Russell Westbrook was, but still being one of the better players in the NBA, especially at the age he's getting at. He's one of the better defensive players and 
the fact that they traded two first first round draft picks and two pick swaps is a big deal. Now, I think we should really watch out for those 2024 to 2026 pick swaps and picks because in those four years, we could see another potential Nets type of rebuild where the Nets traded away all their draft capital to try to get a couple of players and it put them in a hole for a bunch of years, a long time because they just had no draft capital. Now, I know this is kind of the trend in the NBA now, but it doesn't make any sense to luxury or to just get rid of your entire future just to try to get better for the now especially when you're not in competition for an NBA championship now I know that this Houston Rockets team made the playoffs and they looked okay but there was really no worry from anybody in the NBA that they were going to make that deep of a run or that they were going to get past the Lakers and that wasn't really a concern for the Lakers it really wasn't a concern for anybody in the NBA now on the other hand Russell Westbrook, if he gets dealt, that leaves a lot of questions for James Harden. Now, from all cases, James Harden has not wanted to be traded. He hasn't said that he wanted out, but I assume if Russell Westbrook gets traded that the Houston Rockets are on their way towards a rebuild. And if they want to go towards that rebuild, they can get a lot of draft capital back and a lot of talent back by trading James Harden. And not to say that James Harden is a much better player than Russell Westbrook, but he's got a ton more value. The reason being is he's one of the best scorers in the NBA, and that I don't think is arguable at all. If Kevin Durant was healthy, maybe he would be able to compete with that. But the best scorer in the NBA the last two years has been Russell Westbrook. And I don't think, or excuse me, has been James Harden. And I don't think James Harden would want to get dealt out of Houston, the place he's called his home for so long. But if Houston wants to rebuild, they need to move him. And for James Harden, there's a lot more trade fits. But the biggest trade fit has to be the Brooklyn Nets. And this is because another case of familiarity, James Harden is familiar with star small forward Kevin Durant. And we know how good Kevin Durant is. but We haven't really seen Kevin Durant playing with James Harden when James Harden was completely developed and at the peak of his performance. So bringing those two together alongside Kyrie Irving would bring the most dominant big three in the NBA. And the reason that this makes so much sense for the Nets is they have tradable contracts. They have enough depth and enough skill behind uh, their starters that they don't have to worry about only having this star big three. I think if the Brooklyn Nets somehow make a deal for James Harden, Karis LeVert will definitely be a big piece that's coming back to Houston. And Houston will love to take Karis LeVert because not only does he have a lot of value, but he's shown that he's very talented at a very young age. So if Houston wants to try to move forward and get some draft capital and get some picks, trading Russell Westbrook has to be a main concern because Russell Westbrook's contract is, it's not workable. You can't do much when you have a contract that big. And with James Harden, if you want to keep a hold of James Harden, who also has a very big contract, it's going to take some time and you want to build a team around James Harden, because what's the point of keeping James Harden if you're not going to build for a world or for a NBA championship? And I just haven't seen that direction coming from the Houston Rockets, especially after the moves for Daryl Moore and Mark D'Antonio to depart. I think Raphael Stone and Steven Silas need to do a lot of work to try to move forward and rebuild this organization. And trading Russell Westbrook and James Harden has to be the first step. You can't 
win with Russell Westbrook's contract unless you have the flexibility like a team like Chicago has because of how young their team is. Now, once you get to year two or year three, uh, Russell Westbrook's contract just keeps getting more expensive. And the players that are on Chicago would want to get contract extensions and they want to get paid too. So there won't be much room for that. So if I'm the Bulls, I don't really want to make this trade, but I think it's the best fit for Houston if they want to try to move Russell Westbrook and James Harden. I'm going to take a quick break. When I come back, the midseason awards and predictions in the NFL, stay tuned for Up for Debate. The NFL has reached the midseason point in the season, and because of that, I want to reflect and take a look at all the midseason rewards and predictions that I have for the NFL. Now, by doing this, I want to predict who I think at this point in the season is going to win Rookie of the Year offensively and defensively, Defensive Player of the Year, MVP, and I want to tell you who I think is going to make a deep run in the playoffs and potentially win the Super Bowl. Now, to begin with, I want to jump in right with the Offensive Rookie of the Year, and to me, this is a two or three man race between Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, and Tua Tagovailoa. Now, Tua Tagovailoa, I think, is the most talented and going to have the best year out of these three quarterbacks, but because of his shortened sample size, I think that this is going to be a reward that goes to Justin Herbert. Now, Joe Burrow's been great, and I don't want to discredit Joe Burrow because he's done a great job in Cincinnati in a what I think is a much worse situation, but Justin Herbert has been absolutely incredible to start off his career. He has 2,146 yards, 17 touchdowns, and five interceptions. Now, that's pretty good. That's a really good start for a rookie, and Justin Herbert has already jumped into the position of leader on that team. Justin Herbert, 17 touchdowns to five interceptions is incredible. And if he can keep up that pace, I don't think there's anybody who's going to be able to catch up to him. Now, I do think Tua Tagovailoa will shine. I think he's going to be the best player out of this rookie class. I think he's the most talented player out of this rookie class. And his second game of the season really showed why I have those beliefs as he beat the Arizona Cardinals in a young quarterback duel. But moving forward, I just don't think Tua Tagovailoa had enough of a sample size. And by the end of the season, I just don't think he'll have enough of a sample size to win the award. Now, on the other hand, Justin Herbert's been good. But if he can't keep up this pace, Joe Burrow really has the opportunity to catch him. Moving over to the defensive rookie of the year, I think this is a really tough reward to give. And there's a couple guys that really could be in on this one. Uh, the first one I want to talk about is Julian Blackman. Julian Blackman is a safety for the Indianapolis Colts. He was drafted in the second round, and he fell because he had a torn ACL. But he has stepped up into a huge role for a very talented defense and even has a game-winning pick on his resume. Now, the reason I don't think he's going to win this defensive rookie of the year is because even though he's been really good, he hasn't been a complete leader on the defense. And one of the defensive rookies has really stepped up into that leadership role. And that's Chase Young. Now, Chase Young has been a complete stud so far this season. And even though he hasn't put up the most numbers, hasn't put up the best stats, he's really gotten to the quarterback and put a lot of pressure uh, in that department. He's also a leader on that team already. And that's a big deal for a rookie. Now, I really don't think he's going to win the award either, but I do think he deserves a nod. 
Now, the person I do think is going to win defensive rookie of the year is Patrick Queen. Patrick Queen's 52 tackles, two sacks, and two forced fumbles is leading the Baltimore Ravens. Now, the Baltimore Ravens have one of the most talented defenses in the NFL. And we saw it this weekend against the Indianapolis Colts where they held them to 10 points, 10 points. And a big reason they held them to 10 points was because Patrick Queen is a tremendous run stopper. He slowed down the running game and limited the Colts offense so they couldn't move the ball down the field. When you see him stopping the run, you have to look at the other parts of his game as well. Is he good in pass coverage? Can he get after the quarterback and When you look at Patrick Queen's game footage, you have to check both of those boxes. He has been absolutely phenomenal all season long, and he's been the leader of this talented Ravens defense. And if the Ravens defense continues on the pace they're going, I think Patrick Queen should run away with this award. Now, I know that Chase Young is the favorite right now, and there's good reason behind that. Chase Young is the highest overall defensive draft player. He is a very talented defensive end, and he's going to get after the quarterback. But Patrick Queen does just about everything really well. Now, somebody else who does just about everything really well is Aaron Donald. And that's why I've got him as my defensive player of the year this year. He's got nine sacks and three forced fumbles, which has just been dominant. And if you're looking at defensive player of the year this year, I don't think there's anybody else who can be considered for this award. I don't think there's anybody else who's even close to as talented or as close to as dominant Aaron Donald has been. He's been by far the best defender in the NFL and his nine sacks, it could potentially double. He could finish this season with 18 to 22 to 25 sacks, and that wouldn't be a huge surprise. Now, a good portion of his sacks did come in one game, so maybe that is just a fluke game, and he had a tremendous game that isn't going to stick against Alex Smith and the Washington football team's defensive line. Of course, he's going to dominate, but if he can keep this up and, and keep up the same pace going through the season, I don't think there's anybody who's going to be able to stop him or anybody who's going to be able to catch him in pursuit of the defensive player of the year. Now, I think the offensive player of the year is going to be the MVP, as it is many years. Uh, And this is a really tough debate, because to me, it comes down to three to five guys. There's three guys who are right at the top, and then two guys who could potentially have great second halves and catch them. And those five guys are Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, and Kyler Murray. All five of those quarterbacks have been absolutely incredible, and two of them have really taken big steps for the future. Josh Allen and Kyler Murray are guys who I think are not going to win the award this year, but have the opportunity and the talent to win the award in the future. And I think that this award comes down to these top three guys between Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, and Russell Wilson. And To me, the best player out of that bunch has been Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes is 2,687 yards is second in the NFL. His 25 touchdowns is second in the NFL. And his one interception is first in the NFL. He has led this Kansas City Chiefs team to the Super Bowl last year, to the second seed right now in the AFC. And I only think it's going to get better for the Kansas City Chiefs as they continue to fight for that number one seed. Patrick Mahomes is the most talented player in the NFL, and even though he's competing against a really talented Russell Wilson, who has been incredible this season, Mahomes has been nearly perfect all year long. 
And Russell Wilson showed that against a really good defense, he's going to have some issues. Now, the Buffalo Bills defense is incredible, and they forced Russell Wilson to stumble last week. So I think this reward right now is leaning towards Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes is the most talented quarterback, and he hasn't had that iffy game that we've seen out of Russell Wilson. Now, I do think that the AFC champion this year is going to be the Kansas City Chiefs. The reason being is because they have the potential future MVP on their team. Patrick Mahomes has shown that this offense is truly dynamic, and they have a defense that can at least hold up and keep up with the offense. And that's a big deal because if your defense can't really keep up with your offense, you're going to have a lot of issues. And those issues have come from the Seattle Seahawks who their defense has been really iffy and their offense has been really good. But because the Seattle Seahawks are in the NFC this season, I still think that they're going to make that push and make it into the Super Bowl. Now, I think the NFC has a lot of issues and each of these teams has a big hole, whether it be the Packers run defense, the stopping of the pass for the Seahawks or the potential quarterback blunders for the Saints and the Buccaneers. Who knows how old or how good those guys are going to be as they get older and older with Drew Brees and Tom Brady manning the helm. So I do think that this Super Bowl is going to come down to the Seahawks and the Chiefs and Because of how well-rounded the Chiefs have shown to be, I think the Chiefs outmatch the Seattle Seahawks. Now, all it takes is a couple of stops from the Chiefs' defense to stop Russell Wilson, to stop the Seattle offense, and there's really no stopping Patrick Mahomes. Last week against Josh Allen's offense, uh, the Seattle Seahawks only made two total stops, and that's really unacceptable for a team that is supposed to have Super Bowl aspirations. And I think they're going to solve a lot of those issues. They're going to make a deep playoff rush. But the Kansas City Chiefs have been way too dominant all season long. That's going to do it for this segment on Up for Debate. When I come back, I want to preview the Thursday night football game between the Colts and the Titans. Stay tuned. The Indianapolis Colts are heading to Tennessee to take on Tennessee Titans on Thursday night football. And this game has us thanking the football gods because they finally have decided to give us a good Thursday night football game. Now, the last couple Thursday night football games have been absolutely awful. And the last good game that we saw on Thursday night was in week five between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Chicago Bears. Last week, we had to watch the Packers take on the injury-depleted 49ers. The week before, we got to watch the Falcons and the Panthers, both of those teams out of playoff contention. The week before, the Giants and the Eagles, who isn't really fun to watch, and so on and so forth. So the NFL has finally decided to give us a decent Thursday night football game, and this one between the Colts and the Titans in a very, very important game with a lot of playoff implications. Now, the AFC South is really the game or the position that is on the line here as the winner will take the first seed in the AFC South. Now, right now, the Tennessee Titans currently do hold the number one in the AFC South with a six and two record with the Colts just a game behind them at five and three. But this has really big implications for the Indianapolis Colts. Now, the reason being is the Colts are in the toughest part of their schedule and If they end up losing this game against the Tennessee Titans, they fall two games behind the Titans, and they also fall behind in the playoff race. Now, the wild card race in the AFC has really tightened up, and 
only three teams can make it. So the Baltimore Ravens, Las Vegas Raiders, and Miami Dolphins, who have all looked really good as of late, they're currently holding those positions, but the Colts are knocking on the doorstep. So if they can end up beating the Tennessee Titans, if they can win this game, this gives the Indianapolis Colts much better position moving into the future. Now, obviously, this is going to be a tough matchup as the Tennessee Titans have been one of the best teams in the NFL all season, starting out really hot, going to a 6-2 and two record. But they've kind of sputtered out the last couple of games, going 1-2 and two in the last three, losing to the Steelers, losing to the Bengals, and just barely scraping by with a victory against the Bears. Now, the big problem with the Tennessee Titans over this stretch is they really haven't been able to hold on to games. Once they get into these games, they can't really find themselves finishing them out. And against the Pittsburgh Steelers, they fell behind so early in the game that they just didn't give themselves a chance. And then when they actually had a chance, they missed the field goal that could have put them into overtime. Now against the Cincinnati Bengals, this was an unacceptable loss for them because the Bengals really aren't a super talented team in comparison to the Tennessee Titans. They're a young and growing team, but they really took control of this game for the entire time. And a big issue was Joe Burrow couldn't get the ball down the field like they wanted to, or excuse me, Russell Ryan Tannehill couldn't get the ball down the field like they wanted to. So if the Tennessee Titans want to win this game, they're going to have to figure something out because the Colts defense is one of the top defenses in all of the NFL. They have a great run stop led by Darius Leonard at that middle linebacker, weak side linebacker position. And the defensive line has really stepped up to another level. But the talented part or the best part of this Tennessee Titans offense is how good their running game has been and how good Derrick Henry has been. And the Colts haven't really had the best history of slowing down or stopping Derrick Henry, who has 843 yards already, along with eight touchdowns. I mean, he averages 105 yards a game, which is just incredible for this Tennessee Titans team. So the Titans have a great offense set up, and Ryan Tannehill really has shown how well he fits this offense because, quite frankly, he doesn't make too many mistakes. He gets the ball down the field. He doesn't do anything great, but he doesn't really do anything too bad. So Ryan Tannehill has shown his fit and why he got that contract here. But the real star of the Titans is Derrick Henry, and the Colts are going to put a focus on stopping Derrick Henry. And that's going to be a big deal because Derrick Henry is an absolute beast. And if the Colts load the box and are able to slow down Derrick Henry, I'm just not sure that the Tennessee Titans are able to rely on Ryan Tannehill enough to win this game. Now, on the other side of things, the Colts offense has really been their biggest issue all season long because the defense has been phenomenal. The weapons and the offensive line have been great, but Phillip Rivers really hasn't shown much confidence in leading this team to a Super Bowl. And that's what the Colts want to do. They want to win a Super Bowl right now because, to be fair, their defense is talented enough to do it. They have the weapons, they have the offensive line, but they're only going to go as Phillip Rivers allows them to go. And with Phillip Rivers showing his age and showing that he is so mistake prone has just been a big time issue for the Colts. Now he does have 10 touchdowns and seven interceptions on the season. And quite frankly, those seven interceptions have all come in pretty costly situations. 
Now, Philip Rivers' problem in Indianapolis isn't going to be solved until they can find a new quarterback to replace him. And with a team that is ready to win now, finding a quarterback is really not the piece you want to be looking for. Finding quarterbacks is difficult. You can ask the Denver Broncos, who John Elway has who supposedly was a quarterback master, one of the better quarterbacks we've ever seen in the league. He couldn't figure out how to find a talented enough quarterback to lead the team. They went through guys like Paxton Lynch, Brock Osweiler, Tim Tebow, and they still haven't really found their guy. But it's not because of lack of trying. It's just hard to find a quarterback, and the Colts are in that situation. So if the Colts end up winning this game, if they end up winning this game, they have to rely on Phillip Rivers. And this has to be a great game from Phillip Rivers because the running attack just hasn't been as good as it should have been. With Jonathan Taylor only averaging four yards a carry and Jordan Wilkins just below that, this offensive line has has done a good job creating the holes. These running backs are just not as experienced and haven't been able to find them. So if the Colts run game can really get off and going early, this is going to be a good hot start for Indianapolis. And I think they can really beat the Tennessee Titans. And I think the defensive line for Indianapolis is set up to stop Derrick Henry. And a big reason why they brought in DeForest Buckner was because the middle of the defensive line last year for Indianapolis was so susceptible for letting the runs through and letting them get to the second level. And when you have good linebackers, that's kind of okay, but four or five yards per rush is going to hurt you all day long. So now that the Forrest Buckner is there to put a big solid body right on that defensive line, right in the middle, I think the Tennessee Titans are going to have a tough time running against the Indianapolis Colts and it's going to force the ball into Tannehill's hands. And Tannehill hasn't really proven that he can lead a team without a great rushing attack. He hasn't proven that he can be the X factor. Derrick Henry has proven he can be the X factor, but if he's shut down, if the Colts line can slow him down, Ryan Tannehill becomes the key to this game. So I picked the Colts this game to beat the Tennessee Titans as I think they match up really well with them. Their defensive line should get after Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill will be forced to make decisions and forced to make big throws. So I'm taking the Indianapolis Colts in this one. When I return for Up for Debate, I will bring you the MLB Rookie of the Year and Cy Young Award winners and my thoughts on the process. Stay tuned. The MLB has announced their Rookie of the Year and Cy Young Award winners for the shortened 2020 season, and there really weren't too many big surprises as far as these awards go. Now, the Rookie of the Year was announced on Monday, and in the National League, Devin Williams won the award. He's the first reliever since Craig Kimbrell in 2011 to win the award, and we know how good Craig Kimbrell has been since 2011. He has been a mainstay reliever and has done a tremendous job moving forward for the Boston Red Sox. Now, a lot of questions arise when deciding who this award goes to. Should this award have gone to Devin Williams, who only pitched 27 innings in the entire season, or should it go to a guy like Alec Bohm, who was tremendous through a elongated season and played really well throughout? Uh, I think this has to go to Devin Williams. Now, even though Bohm was tremendous, the 27 innings pitched alongside a .33 ERA, .63 whip, and 53 strikeouts were absolutely incredible. 
Now, I think that even though he did have this shortened season, even though he only pitched 27 innings, every other pitcher had the same opportunity to put up the numbers that he put up. Every other pitcher had the same shortened season, and Devin Williams was the one who capitalized on it. So I think there's no reason that he shouldn't have gotten the award. And as great as he pitched all season long, there was nobody else better suited for it. Now, Bohm and Cronenworth were both great, and Bohm got a nine first place votes, but there was nobody else better suited for this award than Devin Williams. Now, could a pitcher with this sample size really pitch a full-length season at the same level? Well, that's up for debate. We don't know if Devin Williams is going to be able to rebound next season with the same type of numbers or if he's going to fall back down to earth. But either way, everybody had the same sample size and he did the most out of it. And that's the really important part here. The rookie of the year goes to whoever played the best while they were on the field. And without a doubt, that was Devin Williams. Now, if he does get into a role where he has a little bit more responsibility, I do expect him to have a little bit more trouble. And this 0.33 ERA might not be super sustainable, but I expect him to be a really good reliever as we move on in the future. Now, that's not saying that he's not going to have a 0.33 ERA in the future. He won't have the same type of numbers, and I'm not guaranteeing that, but it's just hard to believe that through a full-length season, someone will be able to keep that up. Now, moving over to the AL Rookie of the Year, this was a no-brainer. Kyle Lewis was the unanimous AL Rookie of the Year, and the reason being was the guy who he was competing against, Luis Robert, had a really poor second half of the season. Kyle Lewis had 259 average with 11 home runs in the shortened season, and the future looks really bright in Seattle. Now, obviously, they have Kyle Lewis, but J.P. Crawford has been great. Ty France, after the trade with the Padres, has really stepped into a really big role. And if the Seattle Mariners want to move forward and have a good next season, their next step has to be fixing the pitching staff. And the reason being is they just don't have any names that really breach confidence. I mean, they have Marco Gonzalez, who's had a couple really good seasons and has bounced around, uh, whether that be a high ERA or a low ERA, but he's been good. Now they just need to surround him with some really talented younger guys. And I think the Seattle team can really take over in the American League if they can figure out this pitching staff, because the offense is great. Kyle Lewis is going to step up. He's going to continue to get better. J.P. Crawford, he was in the Philly system, and they were expecting big things out of him before they traded him. And Ty France has really made a big impact. Now, there's other guys on this roster that are also going to step up into bigger roles, but for now, that trio has a really bright future. And I think the AL Rookie of the Year was well-deserved to Kyle Lewis. Now, moving over to the AL Cy Young Award, this was a no-brainer. Shane Bieber was the best pitcher in baseball by far. His 8-1 record, 1.63 ERA, and 102 strikeouts all led the MLB. All of it. Eight wins, 1.63 ERA, 122 strikeouts, all led the MLB, and he was just absolutely incredible all season long. Now, a big reason for this is because of the pitching factory that Cleveland has started to produce. They've shown that they really know how to develop pitchers. And, well, 
Shane Bieber has stepped up and become the best pitcher in baseball over this shortened season. Now, next season, he might not have the same success again. We don't really know how the longevity of these pitchers will be because lengthening the season really does mess with the arms. It really does uh, change things. And if Shane Bieber goes a full-length season, he may or may not have a completely different stat line. But for the shortened season, he was the absolute best. And somebody else who came out of this Cleveland pitching factory, Trevor Bauer, won the award in the National League. And this should be a great achievement for Cleveland. Now, Cleveland hasn't been all that competitive the last couple of years. They have been a playoff team, but they haven't really made it as deep as they would have hoped. But they do have a tremendous pitching staff that can really pitch. And they know how to train up pitchers and bring them up through the minors. Shane Bieber and Trevor Bauer being two great examples, both of the Cy Young Award winners. But Trevor Bauer had a tremendous year this season with a 1.73 ERA, 0.79 whip, and 100 strikeouts. Now, this was a close three-man race between Hugh Darvish and Jacob deGrom, and I think this could have gone to any of these three guys. For me, my pick before it was announced was Hugh Darvish. I thought Hugh Darvish was the best pitcher in the National League through this time, but I mean, there's no arguing that Trevor Bauer was really great. The only reason I don't put Trevor Bauer above you, Darvish, is because Trevor Bauer had a hard time closing out and winning games. His five and four record was good, but it wasn't great. And you, Darvish, I think had a little bit better of a season. So I'm not really too happy that Trevor Bauer won this award, but I think it could have gone to any of these three guys with no problems at all. Now, this is a pretty historical award because this is the first ever red pitcher to win the award. The Reds have never had a pitcher win the Cy Young Award. And keep in mind, the Reds are the oldest organization in baseball. They're the oldest team in baseball, and they have never once had someone win this award. Now they've got Trevor Bauer to, to win the award. And finally, finally, the curse in Cincinnati has been absolved. They figured it out. Now, Trevor Bauer is a deserving candidate to win this award, and I think he's going to be a solid pitcher in the next few years. But the real big thing for Trevor Bauer was rebounding from his poor finish last year. Last year when he was traded to the Cincinnati Reds, his final part of the season was really bad, and he didn't look like the type of pitcher he looked like this season. But he was able to rebound, he was able to recover, and finish off really strong. Thank you guys all for tuning in to Up for Debate today. Make sure you tune in every single weekday on KJAC Radio or on the KJAC Sports Spotify. Also follow me on social media at the underscore Kate Reed, where I bring you the most debatable content in all of sports. I will see you guys next time.